In uh, 1995, uh, Cynthia and I got married 17 years ago uh, this year. And uh, four years later, we uh, bought our first house. And uh, it was 1999, and it was the fall, and it was nice and cool out. I was kind of banking on the fact that we would have had a nice cool weather today to kind of connect this illustration, but, you know, that didn't happen. But um, it was a nice, cool fall day, and um, we had just become homeowners, and uh, I was still in my 20s, and so I still liked yard work. And so uh, on this nice, cool fall day, um, I decided that there was a bunch of uh, trees and brush and that sort of thing in between our, uh, the front part of our house and, and the road. So I decided that I would cut all of this brush down. And I put it in a big pile. And, um, and I had seen my dad do this growing up. Um, and I went in the garage and I found a couple cans of gasoline. Yeah, and I poured some gasoline on this brush that was in the front part of our yard in this kind of island area, and I poured gasoline a, a lot, a lot of gasoline on the brush, and evidently I had not watched my dad closely enough because I poured about two gallons on this little pile of brush, and I lit a match, and what happened next I don't really remember a whole lot of, but I know I got my eyebrows singed a little bit and that sort of thing. And um, I grew up in Orlando going to uh, the Cape Kennedy Space Center, and we probably could have launched a rocket up in the air with as much fuel and combustibility, or even if that's, I don't know if that's a word, but anyway, combustion that we had there, um, there in the yard that day. And listen, if you're a student or if you are 20-something and you were just not real smart like me, don't do this because these stories really don't ever end up very good. I promise you, they don't end up very good. But I happen to have a hose, and I kind of got it simmered down, and I realized something that day. There can be too much fuel, right? You can add too much gasoline to, to the brush and to the fire, and it can blow up in your face, and it did that day, and uh, that was fun. I, you know, it's really bad when you give an illustration and you haven't even told your wife you're giving this illustration. I'm not sure that she's ever heard this story because she was gone on a missions trip when all this took place, so Honey, there you go. That happened. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, it was fun. Uh, my neighbor, Carl, came out and helped me. We got it all simmered down. But you know what? There, there can be in life, there can be too much fuel. You can add too much gasoline to a fire. It just is what it is. If you add too much, you end up in, with disaster. And I almost ended up with disaster that day. But I got to tell you, as, as I think about this message series, and I think about how last week we talked about igniting the, the spiritual fire in our lives. And then I think about this week, and I think of fuel. You know, when it comes to our, our spiritual lives, there just there really can't be too much fuel. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christ follower for years, or if maybe last week you chose to believe in Jesus Christ, or maybe last week you made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, like wholeheartedly like become a true follower. It doesn't matter where you are. You can't add too much fuel to your spiritual fire. You just can't. Whether it's just a little ember kind of just burning there, or whether, man, you are on fire for Jesus, you can't add too much fuel to that. Last week, as Cynthia mentioned earlier, we discussed what it means to um, be a follower and go from the point of believing and adding that part that means you follow Jesus Christ. 
And we made a distinction there that you can, you can accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And when you do that, you are going to heaven. No doubt about it. But then in the Old Testament, we see that they, they always, the Christians, they always decided to follow Jesus. And so many of us just kind of stay in that area where we just believe and we don't follow. And it does us no good on this side of heaven in our spiritual lives and in our ability to illuminate our world. Today, we kind of move from that into what's the next step? It, you know, yeah, Todd, I, I've, I've asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I know I'm going to heaven. I got that down. Last week, I decided I want to become a follower. I want to let go of my, my kind of uh, uh, plan for my life, and I want to follow what his plan is. I want to surrender to him. Well, today is what we're going to be talking about is what's the next step? Now, let me pause for a moment and tell you that in Scripture, in the Bible, the next step is what we're doing today at 2 o'clock. And Cynthia mentioned it. We're going to be baptizing about probably about 15 of you now. Um, it was 12. Now it's about probably about uh, 14 or 15 of you out at Caligny at the end of the... Um, I almost said it again. Boardwalk, not pier, because Hilton Head doesn't have a pier. I've got that down after five years of living here, okay? Uh, at the end of the boardwalk, we're going to meet down there about 1.50, 2 o'clock, and, and we're going to baptize people. And I have people come up to me and say, hey, do we need to go to a class for baptism? Yeah, here it is. Have you asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior? Yes? Great. You can be baptized. That's the class. <laughs> and that's backed up by Scripture because there was a man who wanted to be baptized and they baptized him in the smallest pool of water they could find. And so I want to encourage you, if you have, have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and never been baptized, I want to encourage you just to come on out today and do it. It's a great day to do it, isn't it? Come on out and be baptized. We'll be at Caligny at 2 o'clock, and Cody and I will be dunking you. So, okay? So come on out and uh, be a part of that. But you know what? It's interesting. There are steps that we have to take uh, in, in becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. If we just allow our spiritual lives just to happen to grow, guess what will happen? They won't grow. We won't grow as Christ followers. If we just leave it to happenstance, it will not happen. And so today what I want to talk about are three different things that we can do in our lives that will help us get to the point where we illuminate our world. I told you these first three messages are going to be very introspective, and then the next three are going to be very much what we need to illuminate, how we need to illuminate, what we need to do to go out into our world. And that's kind of the big picture, is that, that we can't be working on behalf of Jesus Christ, illuminating our world, if we don't have some things settled in here. And so I feel like my job is to challenge you to draw closer to Jesus so that he can use us to our maximum capacity. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start here today, and we'll be in several different passages. But this is one of, um, this is just an amazing passage, Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to be looking from 9 verse 35 there at the end of Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to go all the way through chapter 10 verse 2. And it's a passage that if maybe you have been in church for a while, you might have heard this. 
uh, for some of you probably may have never heard this passage before, and that's okay, but I, I want to take a look at what happened here in this passage, because Jesus is about ready to start his ministry, and he's, he's pulling together some, some men to help him, some followers, men and women, by the way, to help him. Uh, and, and so he pulls in his first four followers and sends them out. Take a look at Matthew 9, 35 through 10 too. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel, that's the good news, we talked about that a few weeks ago, of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Now we're going to come back to that in a few weeks. We're going to come back to that phrase, he had compassion for them. For they were harassed and, and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We'll come back to that in a few weeks also. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So Jesus sees Jerusalem, and I kind of picture him up on the side of a mountain looking over Jerusalem and having uh, compassion for the people. And so then he begins to call his disciples. And I wanted you to read those few verses so that we can better understand what he does here in chapter 10 verse 1 and 2. And he called him, and he called to him his 12 disciples. I want to read that again. And he called to him, Jesus called to himself his 12 disciples. He calls them to him, and he gave them the authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction don't worry, that's not what we're going to call you to do here in the second three weeks, okay? That was very uh, appropriate for that period of time where they were and that sort of thing. The names of the 12, are, are, these will be familiar if you were here last week, are Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. We talked about those four guys last week. And so we read this passage of Scripture, and there's so much in this passage of Scripture where Jesus sends out his 12 disciples, but I think that we miss something that is vitally important to our lives and our ability to illuminate our world, and it's this. Before Jesus sent out his disciples, what did he do? He gathered them in to him. He gathered his disciples to him. He brought them in. He didn't say, hey guys, um, you need to go to the Sea of Galilee and talk to your fishermen friends and tell them about the Gospels and good luck with that. Have fun. He didn't say, hey, we've got to take this Gospel, the good news of what I've been teaching, into the Roman world, which would have scared him to death and said, um, and you're on your own, guys. He called them first to him. He brought them in and then sent them out. And I think in bringing them in, he prepared them for what was ahead. And that's what I want to do today is I want us to understand that we have to prepare ourselves to illuminate our world. We have to be close to Jesus and understand who he is and what he did and what he is doing in our lives before we can go out and illuminate our world. Yes, we can do it. We absolutely can do it, but we will be ill-prepared for the task at hand. And so there are certain things that we have to do as followers, or we should do as followers, that will help us to do just that. 
Um, a few weeks ago, uh, Dave Ramsey, we, we do Financial Peace University, and um, you probably have heard enough of that from me over the years, but we do Financial Peace University. You'll hear we're going to be kicking one off in the spring semester coming up uh, in actually in January time frame, and I'm excited about that. But Dave Ramsey, who uh, is the uh, uh, started Financial Peace University, says that when you get sick and tired enough of being sick and tired, you'll actually do something about your life and the stuff in your life. And he's speaking specifically of finances. Well, recently I got sick and tired of gaining weight. And so I walked across the street one day to my neighbor who I've gotten to know, and his name is Chris. I won't give you his last name, but anyway, his name is Chris. And I walked across the street and I said, hey man, you want to start running in the morning? And much to my surprise, he immediately went, yeah, let's do that. I was like, oh man, that's not really what I wanted to hear, dude. I wanted to know. I said, I see you out, you walk your dogs early, why don't we just, you know, say six o'clock? And so the last two weeks, the last full two weeks, we've met every morning during the week, and we've run very slowly. We've run to try to get back into shape. And as much as I hate it, and I'm, an, I'm a morning person and I hate getting up at six o'clock, especially to run, I'm doing it because I'm sick and tired of living the old way. I'm sick of it. I'm done. I'm done with it. And Chris is helping me, and I'm helping him, and we're doing this together. But I realize it takes discipline. It takes routine. It takes something difficult to produce results. And today what we're going to be talking about is, as much as we don't like to hear that word and understand that word, what we're going to be talking about, about today are three disciplines that we need to have in the Christian life. Take a look at your notes this morning. A key, the key point for this morning, a true follower of Christ will be fueled by three key elements or disciplines in their life. The first one is a regular time, one-on-one with Jesus. A regular time, one-on-one with Jesus. You know, there is so much about being a Christ follower. When, when you, and, and there, I'm assuming there are many of you in here who are Christ followers, there are so many things about the Christian life that are unique about the Christian life. The fact that God sent his son to redeem our sins, to die for our sins, and we can have heaven, eternal life in heaven because of that, that's unique, isn't it? That's amazing, isn't it? The fact that because Christ did that, we can go and we can pray to God, the creator of heaven and earth, without a go-between. We don't have to have a priest or a father or, or anyone in between, we can just go to him because of what Christ did on the cross. That's one of the great uniquenesses of the Christian life. But you know, there's one thing that's unique about the Christian life that I think we all too often forget. And it's the fact that our God, Jesus, the one that those of you who call yourselves Christ followers believe in, he is alive today. He is a living God. All the other religions in the world believe in a dead God. Buddha is dead. Muhammad is dead. All the polytheistic gods are either dead or they're something and not someone. They're made of stone or wood. But we believe in a God who is alive. The, the New Testament is full of eyewitness accounts of the fact that Jesus, after he had died and was put in a tomb where a giant stone was rolled in front of it, 
He ascended to heaven, and, and, and then he came back to earth, and there are hundreds of eyewitness accounts of that fact. And then there are hundreds of eyewitness accounts of him ascending back into heaven in his glorified, perfect state. Isn't that incredible? You see, we actually have Jesus who is alive, who we can talk to and we can have a relationship with, and no other religion, no other belief system, no other way to enlightenment or salvation has that. We have that as a uniqueness of the Christian faith. And we so too often forget about that, or we ignore it, or we don't think about it, or we don't consider it. And the fact is, is that we can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we talk about it in those terms, a personal walk with Jesus Christ, a personal journey with him, a personal relationship with him. And Jesus encourages us to do that on a regular basis. He did it in John chapter 15. I want you to take a look at this, and you can turn there in your Bibles or you can view it on the screen. Jesus gives a fantastic illustration here of what it means to be with Jesus He says in John 15, verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And then in verse 4, he says a word four times. And when you see it, I want you to say it out loud with me, okay? It's the first one in verse 4. I'm giving you a hint, okay? Are you ready? So as I read this, say it with me, okay? Verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Jesus wants us to abide in him. And if you take a look at the meaning of that word, kind of the the, the original language, the Greek language, it literally means to stay or to dwell or to remain. And what Jesus is saying to, to the readers here and to us today is that he wants us to dwell or remain or to stay with him. I want you to think about the most beautiful place that you've ever seen in your life. Maybe you were on a vacation. I I don't know. Maybe you were up in the mountains or maybe you're like, hey, where I live is the most beautiful place I've ever seen in my life. That could be true for many of us. Think about that most beautiful place that you've ever been in your life. For me, it was the island of Grenada. Beautiful place lush, mountainous, kind of uh, uh, green trees there up on the mountains. The, the water is this beautiful turquoise that you can see straight through. And it's called the Spice Island, so you smell the spices. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. And we were there um, uh, actually back in, in my 20s, I think it was, and uh, we were there with my grandparents. They took all of the family on a cruise for their 50th anniversary. The Cullens will not be doing that, by the way, uh, when we have our 50th anniversary, will we? Okay, anyway, so she says yes, but anyway, I think it'll just be the two of us. But anyway, uh, they, they took all of us on a cruise. My, my uncle was there, our, our cousins were there, my sister was there. We had a great time, and I remember my uncle kind of elbowing me when we stood on that beach there in Grenada, and he said, hey, um, if I'm missing when the ship leaves port, you'll know where I am. And I'm like, yeah, I think I would like to stay here too. 
It's the most beautiful place I've ever seen in my life. Beautiful. You know, in those places, in those times, in those experiences that we have, what do we want to do? We don't want to leave, do we? We're, we're so just eating it up. We're, we're just taking it all in, and we want to stay right there. That's what Jesus wants us to do when we spend time with him. He wants us to take it in so much that we just want to stay. We just want to keep on, keeping on learning about him and reading about him and embracing him. He wants us to remain. And he doesn't want us to do that because he needs it. He wants us to do that because he knows that we do. He knows that we need to be attached to him, that we need to remain and abide in him. And a Christ follower who is growing in his or her faith journey spends regular time with Jesus. Now, what does regular mean? Well, regular can mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people, but the concept that I want you to get here today is consistent, is consistent. I know in my life, when I'm inconsistent in my walk with him, things don't go well. They don't go well in all of my life. When I'm inconsistent with him, things don't go well. And conversely, when I'm consistent in my time with him, in abiding with Jesus, man, I, I, I'm ready to take on the world. And Jesus wants us to remain with him on a regular, consistent basis. I think there are several different factors that we have to consider. Uh, three specifically, I think the first of all is the, the when factor. When do you spend time with Jesus? You have to consider when you spend time with Jesus. Listen, if you're a morning person and you wake up and the first thing that comes out of your mouth is offensive to your family, I don't think even Jesus probably wants you to spend time with him in the morning, okay? Wait till night or later in the day. You're just not a morning person. It's not going to be good for you to spend time with Jesus in the morning. If you're like me and at about 4 p.m. you're like counting the hours till it's time to go to bed, nighttime is not my best time to meet with Jesus, let me tell you. I'm cranky. I'm in a bad mood, ready to go to bed. I don't want to meet with Jesus during that time, and I'm not ready to soak in all that he has for me. Find a time that works for you. It's the when factor. When are you going to do that? And I think that what Jesus is speaking of here in abiding means a place of solitude, a time of solitude. Find that time when you can really be quiet and just take him in. Then there's the where factor. Where are you going to meet with him? You got to figure that out. You got to find that place that you're going to meet with him. For some of you, it's a back porch not during the summer, but some, for some of you, it's a back porch during the nice months on Hilton Head and, and in the Low Country. For some of you, it's at work in your office. You've got to find that place where you can actually find solitude. Moms, during the day when the kids are at home in the middle of the summer, the time to meet with Jesus is probably not in the middle of the day when they're wrestling and arguing and fighting in the middle of the living room. It's just not. That's probably not the best time to be focused. I know I have to absolutely keep my computer shut. I have to open my Bible or I have to open my iPad and make sure that I'm digging into his word because if I see one email, it's over. I'm distracted. You've got to find the, the when, and you've got to find the where, and you've got to have a regular place of solitude. And then there's the what. What are you going to do? You know, if we wake up in the morning and just say, at some point in time today, I'm going to spend time with Jesus, the likelihood of that happening is really probably pretty slim. 
And so we've got to have a plan. We've got to have a plan to spend time in His Word. There are so many different uh, helps out there. There's so many different devotionals and commentaries and uh, Bibles that have yearly walks with Him. The thing that has worked for me in the last few years is absolutely, without a doubt, YouVersion.com. I've mentioned it before. Some of you are probably like, He probably like, works for them or something. I don't, I promise you. It's a free service, okay? So they're not paying me. This has revolutionized my own personal time with God. And I want to encourage you. You can get it on your phone. I think I said, um, I said uh, Palm Pilot a few weeks ago. Sorry, I put us all back into like 1998. But you can get it on your phone. You can get it on your smartphone. You can get it on your Blackberry, your iPhone, your iPad, even your computer. And what it does, it has dozens and dozens of plans to keep you accountable. And I don't know about you, but I need that accountability. I need that accountability. I started a plan about 13 days ago. It's called the 100 Essential Plan or the Essential 100 Plan. And what it does is it, in 100 days, it walks you through 100 of the, the, the most um, uh, important passages in all of Scripture. There are dozens of plans like that. And the thing that I like about version is it's the Word of God. Some, some of them have little devotionals and that sort of thing, but for the most part, it is God's Word in electronic form. And so I want to encourage you to have a regular plan. And that kind of leads me to my second point this morning. A true follower of Christ will be fueled not only by one-on-one time with Jesus, but by a consistent time of reading the Bible and studying the Word of God. No commentary, no devotional, which I'm a big fan of, but no commentary or devotional or study replaces the Word of God working in your life. Get it on CD, put it in your car. Get it on your iPod or whatever you use. And listen and read and consume the Word of God. John talked about this. Actually, Jesus talked about it in John, John 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, hey, there's that word again, by the way, isn't it? If you abide, if you remain or stay, it's the same Greek word, in my word, you are truly disciples. You want to be a real follower of Jesus? Abide in the word of God. Verse 32, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Look at what the Old Testament says in Joshua 1.8. Joshua says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Joshua encourages us to meditate on the Word of God. And I want to encourage you, get a study, get a guide, get a help, but don't miss just the Word of God in your life, separate from anybody's opinion about what it means. The Word of God is powerful and can do amazing things in your life. Now, for some of us, we go through periods of time where we need a study. We need to be pointed towards God's Word. And there are thousands of great studies out there. You can go online and find a study. Let me give you a little tip. Here's what I do. I go online and find a study, and then I call uh, Lynn Jackson, who is at Heaven Sent Bookstore, right out in Bluffton at the Scottish Mill Shop, and I say, hey, Lynn, can you order this for me? And she gets it in sooner than those online things would. 
And so I want to encourage you, we in this relatively small community that we live in, we are privileged to have a great Christian bookstore, and she goes to our church. And by the way, she said if you mention it, she'll give you a discount when she can. So go out and check it out. By the way, they celebrated one year, their one-year anniversary last week. So I'm proud of Lynn and the folks at Heaven Sent. They do an amazing job. I want to encourage you. If you're in a rut, if you don't know what to do, if you don't know what's next, get a guide. There are so many great studies out there that will help point you to God's Word. So we've got one element that says that we need to spend one-on-one time with Jesus. Another one that says that we need to spend time, regular time, in his word, studying his word. And then the third element that can fuel our spiritual life is a commitment to meet with other Christ followers. A commitment to meet with other Christ followers. I want you to hear something. Listen to this. This life, this Christian life, like doing this, becoming a follower of Jesus saying that you're going to follow him and that you're going to dedicate your life to him, it was not meant to be done alone. It can't be done in a vacuum. It absolutely can't be done in a vacuum. We were meant for each other. And the way that we do that here, I believe, is a biblical model that comes out of Acts. We'll read it in a minute. But it's through our life groups, through groups that meet throughout the week at different homes And you gather together for prayer and fellowship and Bible study and encouragement. And that's what the first church did. You see, the model that we're doing today is what the first church did. Take a look at what Luke says. This is the author of the Gospel of Luke, but he also wrote the book of Acts. And read what uh, Luke says here in Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they, the first Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Hey, man, a good small group has food in it. Let's just be honest, okay? And awe came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor for all the people. And lest you think that this was a group of Christians that just met behind four walls of a home and it was like a cult. No. What does the last part say? God added to their number daily, day by day, those who were being saved. This is, this is it. This is the model right here. Luke, in writing the history of the first church in the first century, tells us what we are supposed to do in terms of having fellowship with other believers. And so if you're a Christ follower in here today, I want to encourage you to be a part of a life group. We have life groups from students on up to adults. Our student ministry, Cody and his team, are about ready to kick off their life group ministry. As a matter of fact, building the student ministry from day one, Cody is building it on small groups. Yeah, we'll have events. Yeah, they'll have fun over here in this room one day when we can get it prepared for them. Yeah, they're going to go on trips and, and all that kind of thing. But he is building it first and foremost based on small groups using this model. Isn't that great? Because we as a church believe that this is so important. And so here in a few weeks, they're going to be kicking off what's called the Gospel Project. 
And if you are a middle schooler, I want to encourage you to be a part of our life groups. You can be a part of our life groups through the Gospel Project. And so on October the 3rd, on Wednesday night at 7 p.m., you can meet together at the Cunningham's house. And you can get more information from Cody. You can get more information online. You can get more information on that um, from talking with Cody afterwards. And on Sunday, October the 7th, that next Sunday, if you're a high schooler, you're going to meet in a home here locally too. And you guys are going to be studying the Word of God together and talking about what it means to be a Christian life. Hey, listen, I remember being in high school as a Christ follower, um, and it's not easy, is it, students? It's not easy to, to make a stand and to live the way that God wants you to live. And you, maybe more than anyone, need other Christians. You need to meet with other students who are going through some of the same thing that you're going through. Well, we also have life groups for adults. And I'm going to ask Joe and Shirley Newton to come on up here. And I've asked them to share a little bit about our life group ministry uh, and what is happening right now in our life group ministry? Cynthia mentioned earlier, today is our kickoff, our fall kickoff for life groups. And so Joe and Shirley are going to come up here, and I guess, you know, I do need to hand you a microphone, don't I? Um, and they're going to share a little bit about uh, what life groups are and how you can get involved. Tell me this first, Joe and Shirley. Um, we have been doing life groups for five years at Hilton Head Island Community Church, but we're about ready to embark kind of in a new chapter. Tell us a little bit about that new chapter. Yeah, good. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yes, we're going to a three-semester system. So there'll be a fall semester, a spring semester, and a summer semester. And you're really only signing up for one semester at a time. They're 10 to 12 weeks long. The first one ends before Christmas. Now, you can um, change groups every semester. For example, you can sign up for one now. And then for the spring semester, we're going to offer financial peace. University of the Dave Ramsey series, so you could sign up for that one. And uh, it's okay to change groups every semester. Interesting. It's okay to change groups. That's a big one. So, in other words, what they're saying, if you don't like the people that you've met with the first time, you can change. Am I putting words in your mouth, Shirley? I was going to say, I'm a little nicer You're nicer than, than that. that. Okay, all right, all right. How would you say it, Shirley? Well, honey, I would say, <laughs> absolutely, go try the group two times and make sure it's a good fit for you. That's fantastic. I mean, that's a great way of doing it. And uh, moving to the semester system will allow uh, us to be able to do that. And we'll have some regular ongoing ones like you talked about. Now, um, we as leaders, we need to take the lead in this. Tell us about your group and how you guys are growing in your walk with Christ as a result of your group. Well, Joe and I are in a mixed group. Uh, it's got singles and couples, which works great for us. Um, Men and women are very different, <laughs> and a good marriage is very hard work. So we find that because we communicate like this at times, um, and we also, there are challenges for conflict resolution at times too, and our group holds us accountable right. in these areas. Fantastic. And our singles are great too. They add a great dimension as we do life together. Balance between work and play and um, you know, staying in relationship with God. And um, God works through everyone in the group. He uses them in different ways. It's always amazing to me how God can speak through someone in the group that impacts somebody else in the group mm -hmm. in ways that person didn't know, but it's God speaking to them. So that's really wow. cool. Wow, that's great. And, um, so, and also the group prays with us. They mm -hmm. support us. And they also help us keep Jesus at the center of our marriage. Mm -hmm. 
Wow, that's good. Good stuff. Okay, so I heard accountability in there. I heard prayer, care, uh, you know, living life together, sharing your journey, and all the struggles that go along with it, too. And so I heard a lot of those different elements, which is, uh, which is very exciting. Okay, so today's the day for you all to sign up for life groups for this fall semester. Tell us how to do that. Okay, uh, there's two ways. You can sign up online, but it's right here at the back. We've got sign-ups you can see what groups exist and when they meet and what they're doing and who's in them. And if you don't find a group that works for you, our contact information is in the program today. Mm -hmm. And be sure and get a hold of us and we'll get you plugged into a group. Now some of the groups are already full, so um, uh, you know, don't waste time signing up. <laughs> but you might want to say something do, about do, that. Yeah, absolutely, do it today. And, um, and I will, absolutely. Thank you, Joe, for reminding me about that. In, in your notes this morning, like he said, are all, a list of all of our groups. And then if there's not one that meets your need, Joe and Shirley can help you. And I've watched them do that. Now, here's what Joe wants me to say. There are some of you who can lead and facilitate a group. We need your help. We need more groups. And so if you've had experience in this, if you've uh, facilitated a group in the past, maybe uh, living in a different area or something like that, or you've done it here, and you have, it's been a while since you've done it, we are we want to encourage you to help us uh, be a part of the solution. And you can contact Joe and Shirley. Their name's right down there at the bottom. And uh, get in touch with them and let them know you want to help out by facilitating a group. All right? Why don't we give them a round of applause this morning, all right? Thank you, guys. I never make friends when I have people up here on the stage with me, but that's okay, Shirley. Thank you so much, Joe and Shirley, for being a part of this. And um, they are doing an amazing job leading our effort um, in terms of group life. Cynthia and I start this Tuesday night being in a group. It is so important for you to be in a group. We're not leading a group. I'm not leading a group this time. I, I want to be in one because I, I struggle just like all of you do. I, trust me with the Christian life. I struggle with it. And I get it. And I, just to be honest with you here for a moment, I know what a commitment it is. You've got kids and they got soccer and ballet and school and homework. And I have homework too. And there's like all this stuff going on. And then you have to focus on your job and the trash always has to be taken out, doesn't it guys? Okay. There's so much going on. The last thing you want to do at one evening a week or one evening every once in a while is to go to a small group. And when I have those nights, when I have those times, when I just, I'm like kicking and screaming, about a half an hour in, Cynthia, you can attest to this, half an hour in, I'm like, man, I'm really glad that I went. I'm really glad that I was a part of this tonight because I was ministered to, or maybe I was able to help minister to someone else. So I want to encourage you, be a part of a life group. It is part of the Christian life. It's a vital part of the Christian life. You know, it's interesting. There's nowhere in Scripture that you see described a stagnant Christian life. Actually, there, there is, and it's not good. <laughs> we're either growing towards Christ, we're either making a journey towards Him, or we're making a journey away from Him. We're going one way or the other. These three things will help us to get on the path in walking towards Him. And it'll help prepare us so that we can illuminate our world. This past year, Cynthia and I um, helped Sydney learn how to ride a bike. And that was fun. That was a 
marriage challenge more than anything. And we helped Sydney learn how to ride a bike. And I realized that there were three things that she needed to learn and they all had to go together. She couldn't do one of them without the other. She had to learn how to balance. If she was riding that bike and she couldn't get the balance down, she's crashed. She had to learn how to pedal fast. And if she couldn't learn how to pedal fast, she'd crash. And then the last one that was really tough for her, she had to learn how to stop because you have to learn how to brake, right? Or else you crash into stuff. Well, riding a bike takes all three of those, doesn't it? You can't just do one. Hey, I got the balance down. I'm good. I'm all right. I've got the pedaling down. I don't need the balance or the braking. I got the braking down. You ain't going anywhere. <laughs> we need all three of these things in our lives if we're going to illuminate our world. We need to have all three of these elements, time with God, studying his word, and living the Christian life in community. I want to challenge you. Ask for God's help. Ask for the courage to be able to walk in these things so that you can be, as his word describes, a true follower of his. Father God, thank you so much for all that you did on the cross. Thank you for your word that is alive in us and changing and Father, I'm so thankful that we have a God who is alive, that you sent your son Jesus, and that we have proof that he ascended up into heaven, and that we can have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with you, Jesus. Help us to be steadfast in that. Father, I pray for those who are in here today, and this all is very new. It might even be a little bit confusing. Father God, I pray that you would help them to have a better understanding of that. Maybe even prompt them to come to the core class next week so they can understand these things a little bit more. God, I pray for those who um, are, are just brand new in their faith. They, they've just, over the course of the last few weeks or months, put their faith in you for salvation. And I pray that you would help anchor these practices, these different elements deep in their life. And Father, I pray for those who are in here today and they've been a Christian for a long, long time and maybe they've just allowed life to push some of these things out. Father, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would help them to abide. You called your disciples in before you sent them out. And Father, I pray that you would help us to understand that if we are going to serve you, if we're going to illuminate our world around us, if we're going to help lead our community to Christ, that, Father God, we need to have an abundant life with you. And we need as much fuel to the fire as we can possibly get. Help us to remain with you. Help us to have that desire to remain and to want to remain. You're a good God. You're a holy God. You're worthy of all of our praise and our glory. And Father God, sometimes I step back and I say, why wouldn't I want to spend time with you, one who is so holy, 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 holy. And God, you desired so much to redeem mankind that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. Father, we stand in awe of you, giving you the praise and the glory for what you're doing in our lives and in the life of this church. In Jesus' name I pray.